0: I apologize for taking your time. Thank you so much in advance for your support. Enjoy this episode. You are listening to Rabbi Arya Wolby of Torch in Houston, Texas. This is the Thinking Talmudist podcast. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome back. Welcome back to the Thinking Talmudist podcast. Last week, we ended off when we talked about Messianic times and what are the signs that will be identifiers of the times of Messiah, we mentioned a couple of characteristics. Number one is that we talked about that the uh, wisdom will be pushed aside. We talked about that the face of the generation will be like the face of a dog. We, so we talked about the seven years that will lead up to the coming of the Messiah. And the Talmud concluded last week with a little piece on truth. Truth is going to be like CNN basically, all lies. So, so what happens is, is that that what we're going to encounter is a world where truth will be shown to people in front of their eyes and they'll just ignore it. It doesn't mean anything, and it's amazing because we can see that today. I just saw a report this morning from an IDF general where he says, I'm going to provide for you evidence, proof of terrorist activity coming out of hospitals, terrorist activity coming out from tunnels under the hospitals, all of the proofs. And yet the world is still saying, how can Israel attack a hospital of innocent civilians? It's not innocent civilians. These are terrorists that are operating there. Either way, truth won't make a difference. Truth won't make a difference because people don't value the truth. People value their opinions and, uh, and what they want to hear. And the truth doesn't really matter. So the Gemara now continues about the pre-Messianic era. And what, this is again, I believe this is today, today, October 27th, 2023, we are right now in the times of pre-Messianic days. The coming of Messiah is upon us. Tanya, we learned in Abraisa. Rabbi Nohorai, Omer. Doris Abend David, Babo. Rabbi Nohorai says that the generation when the son of David will come. The young will shame the old. And the old people will rise before the young. Meaning, usually it's the opposite. We know, I, at least when I grew up in yeshiva, one of the things that we learned is that when an, an elderly person walks in, you stand up. When a someone over the age of 70 walks into the room, the halacha tells us, you need to stand up for them. Even if they're not a scholar, even if they're not Jewish, you have to stand up for them because we value wisdom. And someone who lives on this earth for 70 years has a tremendous amount of wisdom. And therefore, we acknowledge that wisdom and we honor it. But in the generation of Messiah, the elders will stand up for the young. Why will they stand up for the young? Because they're going to be afraid of the young. Just so that you understand An 18-year-old terrorist taking in an 85-year-old Holocaust survivor as a captive. Is that not messianic times, as the Talmud states here? It used to be that someone was older, you just had had a, a regard, you had an honor, a respect for them. There's no value for anything. Which is why, just as a side, very, very big side note. There are these games today that children can play. One is called Apex, one is called Fortnite. There are several other games like that. And they are playing for hours and hours on end. And all you're doing, the objective of the game is to kill as many people as possible with a remote control in your hand. And I heard a rabbi, a very prominent rabbi, say that any parent who allows their child to play this game is unwell. He said it a lot stronger than that. Says the parents should be taken away by CPS, not the children, the parents for allowing their children to be influenced by such terrible things. Why? Because all they're doing is killing, killing, shooting, killing more and more and more. It's a terrible thing. Okay. And old people will rise before the young. Why? Why do I say that it's a terrible thing? These, these games, these games, because and the Doctor can elaborate on this, because you're allowing for their mind to tolerate terrible activity as normal. It's a game. So this is this is the reality. The reality is is that it's going to damage our children's minds. It'll damage their purity. It'll damage their subconsciously it has a tremendous impact and we can't take it lightly we can't think that this is not going to affect our children so now children need to have healthy outlets it's very very important Uh, but we have to find a way for those healthy outlets to not be violence and at least it shouldn't be something that is in their brain you know deep down subconsciously making them into brutal viciously violent people okay the Talmud now continues Ubas a daughter will stand up against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and the face of the generation will be like a face of a dog and his son will not be ashamed before his father meaning there's no more embarrassment in the world there's no more shame in the world. There's no more values in the world. And there's, I think the most important part of this, there's no more self-worth. There's no more dignity for the self. We're people, you know, the, the other, we brought this at the end of the class last week. The other time, another time that it says in the Talmud that one is compared to a dog is when someone eats in public. You see someone walking in the mall eating their pizza like this while they're walking. Everyone knows what I'm talking about. You've seen that image. They're eating their pizza like they have no self-worth, no self-dignity. There's nothing wrong sitting by the food court, get a table, sit down like a mensch, eat your food. That can be in the airport as well with dignity. But walking while you're eating in a public place. means I have no value just like a dog can eat wherever it goes it has no problem you could be hosting a black tie event at your home everyone comes prim and proper drinking sipping on their on their wines on their classy event but your dog is running around so you give the dog a bone and it sits on the side and it's Busy munching at that bone, it doesn't care who's there. It doesn't care about the about the tuxedos. It doesn't care about all of the glitz. It doesn't care about anything. Give me my bone. Give me my food, and I'm going to eat it. However, wherever, whenever. Where where adults are going to be afraid of the children? The children are going to be so crazy and so uh, possessed that the parents are just going to say, whatever you want. It's, 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 it's a total disregard for human value and for, um, and again, this is, this is what we're seeing today. This, the Talmud that was written over 2,000 years ago is telling us exactly what's going to happen today. This generation, this generation, this is the generation we're living in right now. Hopefully not. Hopefully not. Right? People will look like dogs Rashi, in the name of his teacher, he says, like a dog, they will have no shame. This is Rashi. In a similar vein, Yad Rama explains the statement as referring to the trait of brazenness. The chidah understands it as connoting insolence. Marashah suggests that the reference is to hypocrisy. In Hebrew, a dog is called kelev, which is leiv, which is all heart. It is utterly devoted to its master and that there's no, there's no intelligence that gets in the way. Let me explain what that means. Imagine you come home from a hard day's work and your new wife greets you at the door. She just got dressed up for her husband who's coming home, they're just newly married and he comes home and he's, in, you know, women are much more emotionally connected, they're much more, much more emotionally reactive but they're not all emotions, they have intellect. All right? So imagine now he opens the door and his wife greets him and she's like, hey, Ani, how are you? How was your day? And he's like, you know, I really had a hard day at work. I just want to watch my football game. And we'll talk in a half hour. Now, what's the likelihood that the next day she's going to come back to the door and greet him so lovingly? Unlikely. But what happens to the dog? The dog comes, he comes home, and the dog is so excited, jumping and barking and, you know, and he say, hey, stop it, stop it, enough, sit down, relax. And you say to the dog, bad dog. What happens two minutes later? Comes back wagging its tail, it's all excited to see you. Why? because it's not controlled by its intellect. It's controlled only by its emotion. So even though it knows it was not a a great experience, it doesn't care because they're completely consumed by that emotion, which is a very terrible thing for us because we're living in a generation where people say, oh, dog is man's best friend. Is that the best we can do? That a dog that is controlled by its emotion that takes no account of the, let's call it, the abuse that it got from its master. And we can't be held accountable for our actions that only a dog that's forgiving and allowing us to just continue to do our negative behavior, if you did that to your spouse, she'd throw you right out of the house. But you do it to your dog, it comes back barking. Comes back excited. Excited to see its master. It's not a good thing that the best relationships we can maintain are those of a dog. So this doesn't mean that dogs are bad and it doesn't either mean that we shouldn't have a dog. I'm not saying either of those. I'm just saying that we have to be better than just have a relationship with our, it should be that husband and wife, man's best friend. That's what it should be. So, In the pre-Messianic times, people will appear on their faces to be as loyal to their friends as a dog is to its master. But in their hearts, they will feel otherwise. Where people are going to be two-faced. People are going to like your Facebook post, but really dislike you in real life. They're going to do that just so that, you know, everyone should just see like we're friends. Everyone should just see that we're, but that's not really the way I feel. And that's that's dishonest. So another b'risa about the pre Messianic Eratanya, it was taught in a brysa, Rabbi Rabinachemya Omer Rabbi said, Dor sheben David Bor Babo, in the generation when the son of David will come, and whenever we see the the, the term the son of David it's referring to Messiah, Mashiach ben David, Ha azuz Tarbe, insolence, chutzpah will increase honor will dwindle. The wine the vine will produce its fruits, yet wine will be very expensive. Which is amazing. You have today in Israel, the vineyards are producing more grapes than they know what to do with. It's unbelievable the abundance of grapes. In fact, one of the things that people are doing right now in Israel Is they're volunteering on the front lines. What does it mean, volunteering in the front lines? They're going to the farms around Gaza and picking the fruits that need to be picked because they don't have enough workers. All the workers are stuck in Gaza. And many of the workers that came from Thailand and other countries are all going back. It's wartime. So, who's going to pick all the fruits? I saw a picture of Avi Dichter, the former head of the Shin Bet, volunteering in a pomegranate orchard picking pomegranates because they need help. There's such an abundance. But yet, if you look at the price of wines, they've skyrocketed. A wine bottle that used to cost $20 is now more than double the price from Israel and from everywhere else. It's not that there's a shortage because we know Typically, prices are based on supply and demand. Says the Talmud, the times of Messiah, you're going to have unbelievable produce. And yet, the price of wine is still going to skyrocket. Just by the way, if you want to know that this entire Simchas Torah war that we're in right now was a great miracle. It was a great miracle. In what way? And everyone was like, what do you mean? We lost 1,400 people, more than 1,400 people. So I'll share with you something I heard yesterday from Rabbi Laser Brody, who had has this from a verified source, in that Iran put together a plan that that Simchas Torah afternoon, there were supposed to be coordinated rockets, Katyushas coming from Hezbollah up north, and rockets coming from Gaza, and this incursion that came in from Gaza was supposed to be paralleled with an incursion coming from the north. And they were planning to cut off the Golan Heights and planning to cut off all of southern Israel to go all the way to Hebron. The problem was is that the Palestinians, first is that Hashem helped us. The Palestinians are not known to be very smart and intellectual people. They got excited about that rave party that was going on and they Knew that if they waited seven more hours, they would miss the party and miss the opportunity to kill those people. So, their their desire to kill those young people and perhaps rape and and uh, pillage those people, they attacked early. Hezbollah didn't know what was going on because, like one second, that's not the time that was coordinated. And that foiled the entire plan. Now, Israel already knows all of the details of that plan, which is why they're they're not rushing, to the best of my understanding, they're not rushing to go into Gaza. They're going to take a fine-tooth comb and take every single Hamas member out and take every single Hezbollah member out and every single Iranian official there's no place. There was a one of the heads of the Hamas was in Turkey and was found dead. We have no idea. I'm not saying that it's the Mossad or that it's the Israelis, but they're not safe anywhere. And this is, it's gotten to a point where Israel is 100% united. I'm not only talking about the government. The Government is the least of the issues. It was that there was a, on the verge of a civil war in Israel between the religious and the secular, between the right and the left, between those who want peace and those who don't want peace necessarily. Everybody wants peace, but we don't want to give land for peace because that hasn't worked ever. So, what do we have as a result? We have an amazing miracle. Not only a foiled attack, where 1,400 could have been 14,000 or 140,000, God forbid. But also, we have a different miracle of the most incredible unity in the land of Israel that is almost unprecedented, where you have, in the first day of this war, over 2,000 students from Yeshiva enlisted in the army, and they have an an enormous influx. If you look at footage that that I've seen of the entrance to the Lishkat Gius, which is where they take in new enlistees to the army. It's packed with yeshiva students saying, we we need to fight for our land. And now we know this is a very important thing because this comes up a lot in our conversation here. Moshe fought a battle against Amalek, but Moshe didn't fight the battle. Moshe was on the top of the mountain holding up his hands. Yahushua, Joshua was on the bottom of the mountain with the warriors fighting the battle. But the emphasis you see in the Torah is not about Yoshua, it's about Moshe. Why? You always have two fronts to a war. You have the physical front and you have the spiritual front. They are both equally as important, if not the Torah, the spiritual component, even more important than the physical component. So while I, I believe that if someone is not serving in the military, they have an obligation to be sitting and studying Torah till their eyes are shutting. And the second they wake up, get back into that study hall and study Torah. Because that's the spiritual battery that keeps the Jewish people alive. And if you're not doing that, my grandfather would say this, by the way, very strongly, very, very, very strong terms. If a yeshiva student is hiding behind the curtain of yeshiva, but not really learning... He's considered a rodef. A rodef is someone who is endangering others by not fulfilling their purpose, by not fulfilling their proper duties. And therefore, if a yeshiva student is not sitting and learning properly, they have to go to the army. It's there's there's no good explanation to it. They're going to have to do an, a. a a very 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 serious uh, introspection and uh, internal uh, audit and investigation of what what happened there because this is uh, you're talking about one of the strongest militaries in the world and that's inexcusable but but and, and I believe they will learn and take important lessons that one of the things that they're also I, I saw many people suggest different uh, protocols, That need to change with each of those kibbutzim and 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 moshavim that were attacked and even those that are not attacked to change their protocols for example they have a munition room where they have all the guns and they have grenades and they have everything that they need all the all the extra bullets and the magazines and everything there shouldn't be a munition room should have an extra munition room but everyone should have their guns with them and everyone should have them in their homes so if god forbid something like this happens you don't have to run to a central location to pick up your gun. You have it with you, and you can protect. It, it, it's, it, look, there's many conspiracies that are being talked about, and there are many thoughts and, and ideas. I, I, they can all be true. They can all be false. I have no idea. We, we may never know. But I'm sure that they're going to take a very serious look uh, to ensure that it's not. So either way, the times of Messiah. So look, it's very, very clear that we're living in unprecedented times where it's things that are happening just don't make sense. They don't make sense. They're not supposed to make sense. They're not supposed to make sense. In the times of Messiah, things won't make sense. That's what our sages tell us, and that's what we see. Okay. hamalchus The entire kingdom will convert to heresy. And that's where there won't be the value of God there used to always be, you know, we the people, and there's a discussion, like on every single dollar bill we have in God we trust. Every single dollar bill. And there are people who are proposing to take that off. God. God is offensive. God is, you know, maybe I don't believe in that if I don't believe in that. That it's like you're know, getting all of this political correctness and all of this talk, which is really a a step in that direction of where the kingdom, what's the kingdom? The kingdom is the powers of the world are becoming more and more distant from a connection with God. And then the end and there will be no rebuke. People are afraid. How many people here around the table have watched things online or seen things online, whether it be on Twitter or on Facebook, and, and you want to comment and you want to re- rebuke what it is that they're saying, but you're like, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to say it. I'm afraid to say it, or I won't say it because I don't want people to think, or I'm, I've had so many people say, I see these, these comments, and I just, I just want to tell them, and they don't say. Why? There will be no rebuke. That's what's going to be in the time of Messiah, no rebuke. So people say, I guess everyone agrees with me. I'll just continue to say it. The Gemara notes that this brysis supports a certain amoraic view this supports the statement of Rabbi Yitzchak what did Rabbi Yitzchak say he said kol the son of David will not come until the entire kingdom converts to heresy meaning all of the politicians they want to take away the Ten Commandments from the courts they want to take away all identifiers in school you can't even say in God. You can't even say that. You can't talk. You can't say the word God. The Gemara provides a scriptural allusion to this point. Amar Rava. Rava says, my Krah. where do we know this? You're just saying nice things in the Talmud, but we have to bring a verse. That's one of the reasons we study Talmud is to see the Talmud isn't in a vacuum. Talmud is all based in the writings of the Torah. It says in the Torah. So now he's saying, "Okay, give me a source for everything that you're saying." It says, "Kulo hafach leven tohorhu. Kulo hafach levan tohorhu. All of it has turned white; it is pure," says the commentary. This is Leviticus 13, chapter 13, verse 13. It says as follows: When Saras, a certain type of, of skin affliction, covers part of a person's body, he is impure. But when it covers his entire body, he is pure. Likewise, when heresy spreads across the entire world, the time for redemption has come. I mean, it's when it's just a little bit, he's impure. But in the entire world, that's when Mashiach is going to come. Okay, the following b'risa interprets a verse that refers to the redemption. T'onu and the rabbis told b'risa, ki yadin Hashem amo, ki ki ozlas yadve Scripture states, for Hashem will judge His people. He will bring the redemption when He sees that the hand is going and no one is being protected or helped. That's the verse. Ein David Ba The verse teaches that the son of David will not come until the informers have become numerous. We have spies everywhere. Now, our government has been welcoming in spies very, very graciously through our southern border where we have knowledge of what they call getaways. Everyone familiar with the getaways? Mm -hmm. Those are people we don't know who they are. Oh, and people who are committed to terrorism, they've caught, many of them, But many are in the 150,000 getaways. They have no idea who they are. They have no idea where they are. Another explanation. That Mashiach will not come until the students of Torah have become few. We know one of the great blessings that we had since the Holocaust is that the rabbis, the leaders of the Jewish people have invested everything we have into Torah, where the rabbis insisted for generations that we need more Torah scholars, more Torah scholars, more Torah scholars. And I remember when I was in yeshiva, there was only one thing that they would say, Torah, 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 that's it, go learn Torah. And now the sages responding to the needs of our generation and to the unbelievable growth of the Torah community said that the time has come where now we need to make an adjustment to that and those who cannot learn all day go to the army and those who cannot work in the army for whatever reason go work and get a job and support the economy and support your families. So things have shifted in a very significant way. Now, there are some who are opposed to that in Israel. Uh, I remember when Sharon Arik Sharon became prime minister and his biggest biggest opponent was Bibi Netanyahu. And he decided to push Bibi aside and he gave him a little post in the in the uh, government as finance minister. Now, many people saw it correctly that this was a swipe at Netanyahu, but Netanyahu is a very good a very good uh, I, I would say he's probably the best finance minister Israel ever had. And one of the things he did was made uh, a break of all the monopolies in the country, all the monopolies. I'm talking about the phones, the cell phones, the energy, the water, the gas, everything, competition. That's number one. Number two, so that lowered all the prices. Number two is he also cut all of the government aid that they were giving to families of yeshivas, yeshiva students, yeshiva families. Now, this is tough, and many, many people were accusing him of being anti-religious and anti and I personally don't see that. I see that there were many people who were comfortable, they were getting a nice stipend from the government to sit and learn, and it was comfortable. And as soon as they made it uncomfortable, slightly uncomfortable, they went and got a job. And they did what they needed to do to support their families. And if you go today into companies like Intel, Mobile Mobileye, Ways Any of these massive Israeli technology companies, you will see an enormous amount of rabbis and Torah scholars who are sitting in these, in these office, office buildings, working, earning a livelihood for their family, using their brains of Talmud and Torah to develop things, develop software and to develop technology. We're all benefiting from. Your phone has—I can't even tell you how many apps that you have on your phone that are all developed in Israel. If anybody drives a a car that has, like a Tesla, that has software like from Mobile Eye, the self-driving, it's all made and developed in Israel. And they have in these companies daily services. For mincha prayer, prayer services, because the majority of their people are Torah observant, or at least a vast, a big number. So these are things that are important for the development of our community and the future of, of Israel. But also, what is also happening simultaneously is that there are less, perhaps less, students learning Torah. And this is what the prophecy is telling us, whether it's for good reasons or not. But the reality is, is that the number of Torah students will become fewer. Another explanation, is that he will not come until the pruta, which is money, has gone from the purse. Where people, we have unbelievable inflation today. And even those who have money put in the stock market now, so the stock market has, happens to be doing pretty well, but you know, people say that it's it's uh, it's artificial. But either way, we see that there is unbelievable inflation, and people who earned money last year, or two, five years ago, compared to the money they're earning today, the value is significantly declined because the cost of bread, the cost of basic. Uh, necessities, has gone up significantly. And this is across the globe. Davar Acher, another explanation. Mashiach will come when there's despair of the redemption, where people are going to be like, Mashiach's just not coming. We're just stuck. And people are going to forget. In fact, it says that, that Mashiach will not come till people... Forget about Mashiach coming till there's hesach hadas where people just forget. Like I totally forgot that Mashiach was supposed to come. It's going to be a surprise to people that Mashiach comes now. Just to to repeat something we mentioned last week, Mashiach is here today. Mashiach could be one of us. Mashiach is one of us. Mashiach. Is already given his task. He knows exactly what needs to happen. But he doesn't have the power to do so till the Almighty tells him so. There is a there is a person today alive walking the streets, whether it be in Jerusalem or in Israel, anywhere or any place in the world, that already has been tasked to be the Messiah, but has not a, been able to reveal themselves as the Messiah. What's gonna happen when Mashiach comes? He's going to tell the Arabs, get out. It's not your land. And they're going to run. And you say, those of you who are in, I don't want to call it the West Bank, because it's not the West Bank. The West Bank is saying that all of it is ours, including jo- like Jordan, and that's the West Bank of it. That's not true. Judea and Samaria belongs to the Jewish people, just like any other part of the land. And just because we have the Oslo Accords that gave it to the Palestinian Authority doesn't mean that it's not our land. It's our land. So don't insult our gift that Hashem promises to Abraham in this week's Torah portion, where he says, this is going to be your land. I just want to share with you a beautiful thought. You know, it says, in this week's Torah portion, in Lech Lecha, so first is you see the promise that Hashem gives to Abraham, and he says, that this land is going to be given to you, for the entire land, not only, not only the Golan Heights, by the way, also what well, what is called by the world, the West Bank. Okay, eskal all of the land that you see, to you will I give it? Will to your descendants? Who's our? Who's Abraham's descendants? We are. Ad olam, forever. It's yours. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth so that if it is possible for a person to count the dust of the earth then too your offspring will be counted but just like you can't count the particles of dust on the earth you can't count the jewish people but then later hashem gives avraham a different promise and he says to him that you're going to be like the stars It's a very important thing. I don't understand. What's the obvious question, Ron? What's the obvious question? Are we like the dust or are we like the stars? What's the difference between the dust and the stars? There's really no difference because they both can't be counted. But there is a huge difference. One of them are trampled on and one of them are looked up to. Our sages tell us that's what Hashem is telling Abraham. It's your choice It's your descendants' choice. If they are risen up like the stars, they hold themselves up, and they follow what I tell them to follow, then the nations of the world will look up to them like the stars. But if they lower themselves, and they don't live up to the task of being the chosen people, then they'll be trampled on like the dust. But what does the Torah say here? The Torah says an amazing thing. Hashem says to Abraham, come outside. Take a look at the stars. Count the stars. And what does Abraham say? So he says, look, look, look up. Look up. Count the stars. Says, "Koyi Azaracha. This is what your descendants will look like. They'll be like the stars. I mean they'll be like the stars? You can't even count the stars. Are we going to be uncountable? Is that what we're going to be? So our sages say an unbelievable idea here is that what we are going to be is we are going to be the impossibles. What God is telling Abraham, try to count, but it's impossible. That's what your children are going to be. They're going to be impossible. No one is going to understand how the nation of Israel survives. How How do we even walk around and smile? after all of the atrocities that we have faced. It's going to be impossible. It's also impossible to count the stars. Just know, just like it's impossible for you to count the stars, it's going to be impossible for people to understand your children. Your children are going to be the impossibles. What everyone says is the demise and the end of the Jewish people and it just doesn't make sense that they're going to be able to ever get up from it again. Six million. And look at us, flourishing. So first is I I I, I contend with your uh, your premise that they don't. They do. In fact, there's been a a one of the largest group of fighters in the IDF today is called the Nachal HaKaridi, which is the what you're calling the ultra religious. A group of soldiers they just graduated their 25th year in the in the army it's not publicized in the media they're not talking about it but in fact in the last five to ten years it's been the largest group of recruits in the entire IDF and you're talking about when you go to Hebron like I was you'll see guys in in their army uniforms with tzitzes and under their helmets yarmulkes don't want to publicize that. It's like, it's like the media here. The media here will find anything about someone they don't like, and they will say it. Because it's slanted. It's not truthful. It's not truthful. It used to be at a time, by the way, even back in the 70s. My father's my father Shomer Shabbos his whole life. He served in the military with many, many of his friends who were in yeshiva with him. But that's not, they say like, that's the exception. That's not the exception. It's the, it's the it's the group that they're not willing to talk about. But the reality is, is that there are many, many, many religious. Now, the upper echelon of the army is not yet fully observant Jews, but it will be. The reality has changed. You can look it up online and you'll see the number of recruits to the Nachal HaRidi is unreal. And by the way, these young men who are joining these forces. I, I'll show you a picture if you'd like. I can show it to you after we're off here. Nachal. Nachal Haharidi. So it's, it, there's a name for it. If you want to know, it's called um, something Yehuda. Netzach Yehuda. Um, but uh, the, the, um, I'll show you. On an army base, they have these Hamas terrorists blindfolded on the ground. And they're just waiting for exactly what to do with them. They're probably waiting from higher-ups to tell them what to do. But the soldiers watching these animals are religious. And they're sitting and studying Talmud. You see the picture. They're sitting and studying Talmud with their gun in their hand to these prisoners on the ground. They're just waiting for orders. So are they going to waste their time? They're sitting and studying Talmud. So, um, but look, we're dealing with a a serious crisis in Israel. uh, And, you know, before we go off and we wish each other a good Shabbos, I think it's important, very important for us to remember to do something special for our people. And when the world is in darkness, we need to bring light. The next holiday we have is the holiday of Hanukkah where we bring light to the world. But we need, this is an early Hanukkah. We need to bring light to the world, whether it's lighting our Shabbos candles on time, doing it properly, whether it's having a Shabbos meal, inviting our friends to our homes, whether it is doing acts of kindness, whether it's, we have to do something special, add more mitzvahs to the Jewish people. That's right. It happens to be a pagan holiday, but yeah. But uh it's sad that so many Jews are, are observing Halloween. I think it's a, it's a terrible thing. We have our own holidays. We don't need to take anything from the non-Jews. Uh, so my dear friends, we're going to continue this Talmud, God willing, next week. And uh, I look forward to hearing from all of you that you had a most amazing Shabbos, a Shabbos that's filled with health, with happiness, with kindship, with friendship, and hopefully an unbelievable closeness with the Almighty. Have an amazing Shabbos, my difference.